Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Affected by Altitude, a Colorado Rockies podcast for and by Rockies fans on Rocky Mountain Rooftop. Thank you for joining us as we discuss all things baseball and Colorado Rockies. Hello and welcome to Affected by Altitude, a Colorado Rockies podcast on Rocky Mountain Rooftop, a proud affiliate of the Fans First Sports Network. I am your host today, Evan Lang, and with me as always is my cohort and partner in crime, Skylar Timmons. Uh, mission accomplished. We got the guy who assaulted Dinger. He turned himself in is what is what I heard. The power of the internet. I mean, I, I really don't understand what the plan was, <laughs> but I also don't understand how he got away to begin with. Yeah, that's, like that's the was, funny part. He was sitting in a very crowded part right by the dugout, and he just got up, jumped on top of the dugout, tackled the mascot, and then left, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. The security's weird. You'd think all the old ushers would have been just swarmed on him, but slipped away, I guess, but turned himself in. So that's good. It, the video is still kind of funny, but it's also stupid of why anybody would do that. Yeah. It's like, leave the mascot alone, man. And it, it sure doesn't help that this is now the uh, second straight year with a fan and dinger controversy yeah <laughs> it's dingers just getting in all sorts of trouble uh for those of you curious dinger day is coming up here soon you can purchase your tickets and have a lunch with dinger and potentially just sucker punch him i guess and assault him don't do that if hey. you buy if you buy theme theme day tickets for dinger day do not assault the mascot <laughs> please oh dinger well, we've got a lot to talk about today. Um, probably the main thing we're going to start with is uh, all these injuries that the Rockies have going on to start the season. Uh, we might as well kick things off with an update on Armand Marquez. Um, as you may recall, Armand left his start against the Cardinals uh, in the sixth inning while throwing warm-up pitches. Uh, Elias Diaz noticed that something wasn't quite, quite right, went out to the mound and called out the trainers. Uh, they took Armand out for precautionary reasons, had an MRI done. Um, MRI very thankfully had no, um, structural damage or anything significant other than inflammation in that right forearm. Um, but Armand did go on the 15 day injured list. So definitely better than we were, I think, expecting because you always, you always kind of think of the worst when your pitcher leaves during an outing with forearm or elbow discomfort in that pitching Mm -hmm. arm. It can 
really be an indicator of things like Tommy John or any other uh, serious injuries. And so there was a lot of panic uh, in our writer's room and across the Rockies fandom with already how not very good this team is and then losing our pitcher who not only is is good, but has been such a workhorse for his entire career. And I think people kind of panicked at the idea of losing Herman for the rest of the season with the already very low expectations of what this season is looking like. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Armand injury? Uh, I think the we always talk about the running joke where <laughs> we expect the worst with injuries where they say, yeah, we don't think it's much. And then the next day, the guy's just dropped off the face of the planet with scoliosis or <laughs> some random disease they just discovered. So it's good to see him at least dealing with forearm strain. Still not great. You don't like aren't you know injuries in your pitching arm. So hopefully it's giving him the rest. He'll be okay. Come off after the 15 day IL stint. Uh, he just got cleared to start throwing today on this Sunday that we're recording. So that's good. Slowly work his way back. Uh, but it's definitely something you got to be worried about as the season progresses and when he comes back. Because, like I said, after Armand, after he, if he goes down or Kyle Freeland goes down, what do you do? What's the backup plan? And we're seeing today Noah Davis is getting a start on this Sunday uh, after getting called up, making his first big league start, which is great. But even then, he's not lights out down in Albuquerque. And so he has potential and hopefully good luck to him, but it kind of you know, showcases, highlights the problem that the Rockies have with pitching depth that we talked about last week, where after Kyle Freeland and Herman Marquez, uh, it's a bag of question marks of you, what would happen. You, you cross your fingers and hope for day game, Jose Arrena. Yeah. And you hope for three inning Ryan Feltner and, I don't know what with Austin Gomber. So you can breathe a sigh of relief. Armand's going to be okay for now, but you still got to be a little bit worried as the season progresses of, well, hopefully it's just a one-time thing and just early season things and not something that gets progressively worse as the season goes on and results in having to get Tommy John surgery. Cause then that leaves his, you know, his, his future up in the air of do they exercise the team option for next year if he has to go down with Tommy John or something. Uh, it's it's difficult to figure out. So there's a lot riding on Herman Marquez this season, and hopefully the pressure isn't getting into, getting to him. But I I don't really – part of why I think it's, it's a mixed bag with pressure-wise is that Herman said in his post-game interview following that game that he had been feeling it between starts – and didn't really say anything because he didn't think it was too severe or whatever. And then also that he had started feeling this discomfort in the fourth inning of the start that he was pulled and had pitched through it. And at first, uh, what it really looked like was, oh, Herman pulled out the training staff, uh, you know, good on him for, for making the right call and not trying to pitch through it. And then we find out that he did try and pitch through it. It was Elias Diaz who noticed uh-huh. something was off. And got the trainers out there to get him pulled from the game. So you do got to wonder if maybe that's it. Of You know that Herman is taking this season seriously, especially with how last year went. But at the same time, 
that is really not what you want to hear, especially with a history of this team of guys trying to play through injury. Mm-hmm. You don't, you don't want that. And I love Herman and I, I want him to be successful. But I also want him to be healthy because it really is. Like we said, after John Gray left and the Rockies just made no effort to replace him. And even before that starting pitching depth was an issue. And now it's at an all time, just really bad spot. Mm-hmm. And it, it really is. If, if Herman goes down and Kyle goes down, there's, there's nothing there. Hold on to your butts. Austin Gomber had a really difficult start against the Mariners. Ryan Feltner looked fantastic the first time through the lineup against the Mariners last night and then just got completely shellacked his second time through the lineup. And that game ended up being a blowout. Um, Connor Siebold has not been pitching well out of the bullpen. and Or he, he pitches well when it's a clean inning. For the most but if, part, but if he gets a runner on, then yeah, then there's going to be some issues, and it really is hoping for day game Jose Urania at that point because, and I, I pointed this out on on Twitter last week um, or his last start, and I'll I'll just go over again what his stats are. He is legitimately a night and day pitcher for night games in his career. Jose Arrhenia has a 5.40 ERA, um, has given up 79 home runs, has walked 197 batters, and has a whip of 1.502. In day games in his career, Arrhenia has a 3.93 ERA, you know, not amazing, but much, much better, with only 29 home runs allowed and 104 walks to 205 strikeouts with a whip of 1.261. So you basically know if it's a night game and we've seen the, the first two starts Arania had this year were both night games and he got crushed. And then his third start was a day game and he did okay, but you don't want to have to rely on hoping that Jose Arania's next start is going to come during a day game mm-hmm. with this, <laughs> with this rotation. Yeah. When you have one or two day games a week, like, if you just turn him into a Sunday pitcher, I guess, <laughs> let him pitch every Sunday. Give him the the Fujinami or I forget his name with the Oakland A's, who's pitching once a week on Saturday. <laughs> if you have to go that route, it's it's I don't know. And at, at the very least, though, uh, reinforcements might be coming in the form of Antonio Sensatella. Uh, Antonio Sensatella tore his ACL last season and has been rehabbing that since. He, on uh, this most recent Friday, pitched two innings in an extended spring training game. And the Rockies are going to have him pitch another extending spring training game on Tuesday. After that, um, they're going to evaluate where he's at and see if it's time for a rehab assignment with the Albuquerque Isotopes and what his timeline for return is. And with... With how shallow this rotation is, I don't think I can stress enough how important the return of Antonio Sensatella is going to be to this team. Yeah, they need Sensatella because he's the number three starter, more or less. Like You would put him in as the number three, and then you don't have guys like Jose Urania. He'd be in the back end of the bullpen. And it's really kind of a competition between those three guys of Urania, Gomber, and Feltner of who gets to stick around uh, when Sensatella comes back. 
in roughly next month, probably first part, maybe middle of May. And so it's important that we get him back, but it's it's good to see him working back. Sounds like he's doing good. You know, we had some scoreless outings down there in extended spring training, pitching today, today again on Sunday. So he's on the horizon. It's good to see. And you know, he's he had an up and down the year last year. And after that contract, so hopefully maybe he's kind of grown into it and calmed things down and figured it out where he doesn't have the pressure or pressing on himself to justify that contract he signed. But yeah, I, I can't wait for Sensatello to come back. If nothing else, just to get some more known quantity back. Yeah. And even then, like Sensatella had an up and down season last year, but I think he never really got the chance for things to normalize after his um after his injury because Kyle Freeland and Armand Marquez both had really rocky starts to their season last year but they both pitched the full season and eventually you saw them kind of normalize where Kyle really got back down to um, where you expect him to be. And while Erman wasn't great, he got his ERA back down to sub five and you saw some flashes, especially in his last couple starts of the season of the pitcher that we know was in there. And now we've had Erman and he's had a solid couple of starts here in this season versus uh, Sensatella only had 19 starts before he tore his ACL. That's still in August, so he had pretty much the whole season. But but not nearly as much as as Aramon Marquez or Kyle Freeland, where it was in August and September that they started to even things back out. And and since his ERA was 5.07 last year, so not amazing, but not the worst. Like it could have been worse and you saw you saw glimpses of what he was really really good at especially with like limiting home runs he only gave up nine home runs last season which is what he excels at is inducing ground ball contact and keeping the long ball which with this season especially is something that we need because uh patrick saunders of the denver post last night dropped a just really incredible statistic uh that the rockies are 0 and 10 when they allow a home run yeah, it was 0 and 9 before they lost last night when they gave up a home run. And what was the what was the first earned run that the pitching staff gave up last night was a home run. Mm-hmm. And it just barely squeaked over the outfield wall, but a home run's a home run, and it's always that after that first home run gets given up, the wheels just completely fall off. Yeah, there is some sort of mental fortitude or something mental aspect of the game that the Rockies pitching staff is maybe just the team in general is just really lacking because we know the talent and no potential all these guys have, but then it's all the mental errors they're making that no, an error happens. And instead of no picking themselves up and then getting the next out, it's backbreaking home run that no turns a two run game into a four run game late in the game too. Now we saw that a couple, we've seen that a couple of times on the defense Ground ball that should get somebody out of an inning error. Ryan McMahon bounces off his glove, goes in the outfield. Cardinals then rally and come back to win a game. CJ Crone gets a ball or ranges too far over to get a ball and doesn't get back to the bag in time to get the throw. Another error, inning continues, another backbreaking home run. And then we see things in Seattle no walks, violations, other things. So it's a lot of that mental fortitude. I think the mental errors that are defeating the Rockies. No, the Rockies are beating themselves essentially at the moment. 
And that's what's most frustrating to see because we'll accept you no know, other teams dominating us in a way, uh, you no know, pitchers being better, things like that. But it's we're not forcing them to beat us. We're giving them runs. And I think that's what's the biggest problem is that we're facing right now. Because then as soon as we give up a home run, we walk somebody, an error happens, things just unravel. It's like a middle school baseball team, a high school team, where as soon as something bad happens, you don't forget it and they just keep it just keeps piling on. And that's that's the that's when baseball gets really tough. Gets really tough. And people have very clearly been feeling that over the last handful of games where folks on social media, folks around around the league, even in our writers' room, like this is not a team that you can feel good about right now because we came into this season with very low expectations. Mm-hmm. We know that this is not a competitive team, and we know that this is, for lack of a better term, this is a reload year where we're, we're not even going to be competitive. It's just let's get through the season and see what we've got. And then the Rockies keep doing weird things like signing all these aging veterans to play over their um, their younger talent that they should be evaluating. And then like the the self-inflicted wounds. Mm-hmm. Last night's game against the Mariners was especially bad because it really just was the wheels completely fell off. Mm-hmm. Things just completely collapsed on this team to where Brett Suter actually turned into a dinosaur wandering around the mound until he Bud Black came in to get him out. He looked like, and Suter, we we've watched Suter pitch for, for years now with the Brewers and now with the Rockies and Suter is a guy who has good composure. Mm-hmm. Like he knows what he's doing out there and his first couple appearances of the season have been really reliable, especially because he's frequently called in to work multiple innings after say the rotation falls apart mm-hmm. and he, there was some very clear emotional body language last night where he was upset. He was frustrated. He was angry at himself. He was angry at the umpire. And then it's exactly like you said, when it was time for, for Bud to go out and pull him, he really was just like wandering aimlessly around the mound until Bud Black came and got him. And it's like, that's not good. That's not something that you want to see in your team. It's very similar to what we saw with Armand last year, where his body language was really bad where he was Uh very clearly upset and frustrated and Uh i don't know if it's a coaching thing or what there's yeah there's something wrong with that culture in that clubhouse that concerns me so much Mm -hmm. and and it's not the first of of sort of clubhouse and and culture things that i i would point out because you have all these mental errors and you have all these lapses you have these complete pitching collapses and then the team does something baffling, and this is something that we'll, we're, we're going to dive into a little bit here, is how they handled Nolan Jones. Who? Exactly. <laughs> we, Never met him. We struggled with this last year with Alaris Montero, where we kept calling up and sending down this guy, and he was who's supposed to be one of our top prospects, and just not giving him playing time. And... This year, especially now, 
we have this, I'm going to call it a debacle with Nolan Jones. So Nolan Jones had a really tough spring training. And I, I legitimately think the move to have him start the season in Albuquerque was the right move because he needed to find his rhythm at the plate. And he did. He was absolutely on fire in Albuquerque. He had six home runs in 10 games. And then when Herman goes on the injured list, they called up Nolan Jones and did precisely nothing with him. He sat on the bench for three games and got optioned back down to AAA today. Mm-hmm. It, it's tough because it, uh, their reasoning, you know, Herman goes on the IL. And so the subsequent move, which was kind of surprising, they called up Nolan Jones. And you're thinking, well, why would you replace a pitcher with a position player when you already have a bunch of infielders. And it was, I guess, the Rockies' reasoning because Lars Montero was dealing with a little bit of a thumb injury, you know, just jammed his thumb or something. So he was getting a couple days off. You think, oh, well, that's naturally, you can put Nolan Jones in to play for him. That's perfect. Instead, they put Mike Moustakis, Alan Trejo, and Harold Castro out there to play third base in, in the outfield in place of... Nolan Jones, and even when games were out of hand, you know, he still just sits there on the bench doing nothing, which you know, I'm, I'm sure he's happy to be up with the big league club. You know, but you can, with these conversations we had before last year with Montero, where they bring up these prospects and they just sit. They're not doing anything. Like, yeah, I'm sure there's some work they're doing behind the scenes, but it's different of you call him up, you expect him to at least get some sort of action in the game and at bat, you know, a defensive replacement, something to show like, Hey, we value you. And this is why we called you up. And we just want to give you a quick look uh, while you're up here, reward you for what you did down in Albuquerque, but sitting on the bench for a couple of days and not doing anything is man. I'd be angry. I'd just be so frustrated. And uh, who knows what what Nolan's feeling, but uh, it's unfortunate because we all, I think we all would have loved to see him at least get a look, getting that bat, something to justify calling him up, but sending him down like that and just kind of wasting time, cooling him off after not playing for a couple days. Hopefully he can pick it back up down in Albuquerque when he gets back, but that's really frustrating to call him up and he just does nothing. And to really? like, Hey, he's here. <laughs> and then he doesn't do anything. And, and with Nolan Jones. So he would have been up for three, four days. And then you don't know if he's going to get back to Albuquerque in time to play for the Topes today. And then the Topes don't play on Mondays. So you're realistically looking at five or six days where he doesn't get any at bats over this move that made that makes no sense because yeah. you even had last night in a blowout it's 9-2 they're pulling starters optimal chance to put Nolan Jones in you know what the Seattle Mariners did they put in Jose Caballero who they called up that day to get some reps and make his big league debut the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim called up their 2022 first round pick and he's their starting shortstop after playing just 40 minor league games in his career. Yeah, 
they they're just giving him the the go ahead, the green light. And then in the blowout last night, they pull Jonathan Daza, or they no, they moved Jonathan Daza to right field, and pulled Chris Bryant, and put in Harold Castro. Mm-hmm. And I like Harold Castro. I think he's a he's a cool guy. I like hitting Harold. That is an inexcusable roster move. And then uh-huh. today with Noah Davis getting called up, he's going to pitch today in, in place of Erman. Harold Castro is starting today in center field and Nolan Jones was optioned back down to triple a. Uh-huh. And that makes zero sense to me. And, and we've, we saw that before with, with Alaris Montero last year where the, Buddy Black and the and the coaching staff at the front office were like, oh, we're teaching him about the big league environment and how to fly on planes and how to do the big league practices and reps. But here's the rub with that. Nolan Jones has big league experience. About a month's worth. <laughs> he made his major league debut with Cleveland. He has played major league baseball. He mm-hmm. does not need to learn how to fly on a plane or to learn how to take those big league practices. He's done that. Mm -hmm. And you have now one of your top 30 prospects that you traded a solid infielder for. And you're not using him. And like, I I'm trying to like y'all, y'all and me, I try to stay positive about this, this kind of thing in general, but it is disrespectful to Nolan Jones, to the rest of the clubhouse, and to the fans. Yeah, it's it's uh, <laughs> it's not great, Bob. It, it's and I think people are going to start seeing the cracks starting to show for us because yeah, you and I are usually on that same. <laughs> but we're like, I try to stay positive about the Rockies because we love the team, we love baseball. But man, the cracks are starting to show, <laughs> and they're they're showing early this season too, like. Normally, we make it to around the all-star break before we start to fade. Mm -hmm. We're like three weeks into the season, and Mm -hmm. the the cracks are showing. Yeah, because April is usually a better month for the team, and usually it falls off of that. It's usually not right out of the gate. Uh, But, yeah, it's frustrating for Jones, and and hopefully things will work out. But it kind of goes into a problem that I can kind of steer us towards into of, what do they do with the roster now that is more guys starting to come back? Cause Randall Gritchick is, is right there on the, on the cusp. Who does he replace? What happens with the roster when Gritchick comes back, when Daniel Bard is coming back, I think Bard Bard for bird is probably the, or Seabold or something. So Bard comes in and that, that one's a pretty easy one to figure out, but what happens with Randall Gritchick when he comes back? Because Nolan Jones is sent down, and so you got to place your veteran somewhere because this team loves their veterans. Where does he go? And I think the it's either you know, was it Mike Mustakis or Harold Castro? You're kind of your two options, and it doesn't feel like either of them are going to get the boot once Gritchick comes back. And I I even wrote about this in my rock pile last week. Um, part of what feels like a continuing series about the Rockies being stuck in a logjam of their own construction, because you're right. When when Daniel Bard comes back, and Bard were were really happy um, 
for him and totally understanding of his situation. And I'm, I'm glad that he feels like he's ready to start a rehab assignment and start making his way back to the team. I think that's a way easier move to make. Personally, I think it's going to be Siebold or somebody like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Jake Bird has been – Bud Black has very much shown that he wants to lean heavily on Jake Bird. He leads the league in appearances – or not the league, pardon me. He leads the the team in appearances out of the bullpen. It's him and then Denelson Lamette. Mm-hmm. So I think it's going to be Siebold or somebody like that. But it really is – with Gritchick, what are you going to do with him? Because it feels like they're not going to DFA Harold Castro and they're not going to DFA Mike Moustakis. And even if they did, you've got Yurks and Profar in left field that they're paying $7.75 million plus. So they're not going to take away from his playing time. He's going to keep being the everyday left fielder. And in right field, you've got Chris Bryant. And Charlie Blackman. <laughs> and Charlie Blackman. So I guess you platoon him with Daza in center and then occasionally in right. But they've made it so that this guy that they probably should have found a way to move on from in the offseason. He's coming back from the IL and has nowhere to go. Mm -hmm. So it's not even now the, the rookies who are not getting their adequate playing time. Now it's the veterans, too. Because they've just log jammed themselves so bad with their roster creation with so many corner outfielders and so many corner infielders and all these moves that they would have, could have, should have made after the all-star break last year over the offseason this year that they didn't. And it's it's just very strange. And I get that, you know, a bunch of these guys probably, hopefully, aren't going to be around post all-star break post deadline but the trade deadline this year is august 1st so we have a good four months to go until then (laughs) what do you do you maintain the faith and keep the course and don't do anything to change that's That's rocky's baseball that's the 30 years of 30 plus years of rocky's baseball what a way especially to celebrate the 30th anniversary of this team. We were talking about this last night of we are three some weeks into the 30th anniversary season of Rockies baseball. And the fans are already feeling done with this team. Mm -hmm. It's got shades of that 2012 season. No, the year of the fan or 2013 or 2012, whichever one it was. I think it was 12. Yeah, the year of the fan, and that's our worst season in franchise history. So, ooh. Yeah, and so over at Purple Row on the the Twitter account, they did a poll uh, last night and got over 1,000 votes. They got 1,029 votes. Poll asks, after the first two weeks of play, how do you feel about the Rockies? And the winning option at 40.4% was... I am losing interest fast. The second, uh, second result is just give me baseball at 34.6%. 19% said they never tuned in to begin with. That's not, that's not a great uh, set of results for your poll there. Only 6% of respondents said that they are still excited because it's still early. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, apathy's setting in, and it is it's rough. And the one way, and I know we got to take no the quick break here before we move on. The quick way to battle that apathy and figure out some of the problems that we're seeing here is letting the Nolan Joneses play, letting the Michael Tolias. They're doing good. And we'll talk about this more later, I guess. You know about Montero and Tovar. They're letting them play, and that's good. You know, even if they are some struggles in there, it's good that they're playing to figure those out. Look at the Orioles and how exciting the Orioles are right now because of the wealth of talent that they have on their roster right now that they've drafted and that they've brought up, called up, and these prospects that are doing awesome things because they're letting them play. And the Orioles are completely different franchise right now because they're fun and exciting to play. We're seeing other teams calling up their top prospects. Look at the Kansas City Royals. No, last year, yeah, they're having some struggles, but they're letting the young guys play, and there's some excitement down there. Miami, whatever they're doing, but they've got some younger guys pitching-wise and everything that they're play. The teams that are letting the young guys play are reaping the benefits of letting them play and grow and develop and giving them that leash to let them grow, and it's helping the franchise as a whole, and people are paying attention. Whereas the Rockies, they're going to keep rolling out Guys that are 29, 30 years old, I think they're one of the oldest teams in baseball now, or they're up there in that top 10. They just keep rolling out the old guys and just expecting to compete when you've got so many exciting players down in in the minors. Gabriel Hughes, Zach Veen, Brenton Doyle, Coco Montez. Uh, his name escapes me right now, but he's been on a on a, on a hot streak down in Albuquerque. Uh, Daniel Cope. Yeah. You got guys like that and tons of excitement down there in the minors and they're in stuck in the minors when there's guys clearly ready, give them a chance at the big league level. Who cares? What do we have to lose? And, uh, in answer to your question, the Rockies are fielding the fourth oldest team by average age in major league baseball right now. And and who are Uh, the other teams? The average, average age for the Rockies is 29.6 years. Uh, right ahead of them is the Miami Marlins, twenty nine point nine. Yeah, the New York Mets, who are actively competing, so they signed a lot of known veteran talent at thirty point nine, and then the also actively competing with known veteran talent, Los Angeles Dodgers, at thirty one point one, who still always have a wealth of homegrown prospect talent. Look at Josh Outman this year. I think it's James Outman. James Outman. Look at <laughs> look at look at this guy who I don't like because he always does really good against us. <laughs> and then you've got the the five youngest teams in the league are the Tampa Bay Rays, who are just a farm of talent somehow. The Washington Nationals, who are actively rebuilding. The Cleveland Guardians, who are kind of coming out of a rebuild, kind of not. Um, I think they definitely overperformed last year, but they've got a lot of intriguing uh, talent Mm -hmm. on that roster. The Detroit Tigers, who are probably the outlier of this group because they're in the the rebuild of the rebuild of the rebuild. Sorry, Tigers fans. Yeah, and I think Miguel Cabrera is making up the majority of that age. (laughs) (laughs) Because he's, he's what, 42? Something like that. And then the fifth youngest team is the Baltimore Orioles who have been a hoot to watch this year. That's and a bird pun. It is a bird pun. Unintentional <laughs> bird pun. 
but you've just got like the Rockies could easily be doing this had they not spent roster spots on Yurks and Profar, Mike Mustakis, Harold Castro, all these these older folks. Like Chris Bryant's not going anywhere. Charlie's not going anywhere. But there's there's space. Like you could have instead of Mustakis and Castro, you could have Brenton Doyle and Nolan Jones. Uh-huh. But <sighs> that's baseball, as Buddy Black would say. Mm-hmm. Oh, Harry Black. Um, if you're listening to the audio version, we're going to take a quick break here for ads. Stick around. And we'll be right back in just a second. Audio listeners, thanks for sticking around with us. We are once again trucking along through just another great week of Rockies baseball. I'm Evan Lang with me, Skyler Timmons. And last week we spent uh, a pretty lengthy part of of the show talking about pitching. And we're going to turn things around here and we're going to spend a pretty lengthy part of the show talking about the Rockies offense. And... It's been a weird season so far. I guess since we 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 had a lot of negatives in the first part of the show, so let's start with a positive, and that's that catcher Elias Diaz is having a really good start to his season so far, which is not something we got in his first two in his last two seasons, where especially last year he really struggled out of the gate. This year, not the case. He's one of the Rockies' best hitters right now. He's on a nine-game hitting streak. Highest of his career. Highest of his career. He's hitting 374, 31, 587 with two home runs and four doubles. He's got four walks, which is the tied for the third highest on the team, and nine strikeouts, which is one of the lower figures on the team. And for your 32-year-old primary catcher, it's a pretty good way to start the season. How are you feeling about Elias Diaz right now? No, it's good because we, we know the potential and, and the impact that Diaz's bat can have. Oh, and in that first season, or was it in 2021, had that phenomenal season. Oh, and then he gets that contract. And I, they talk about that a lot where he was just kind of pressing himself last year of trying to live up to that contract. And when you start to press and, and try to, pressure yourself and overperform, you see the results of what you did with Diaz last year offensively. And I love this year. He came in, he's relaxed, he's comfortable, and he's not worried about, oh, I got to live up to this contract, but more so of like, I just need to go out and do the best that I can. And he's doing that. And it's nice to see that offensively where we've seen him slowly creep up uh, in the batting order where he's batting fifth. And so it's good to see him come strong out of the gate. And hopefully he can sustain that throughout the season. And it's not just he's hot now and then just immediately crashes and goes into it like a CJ Crone esque slump. But it can become consistent. If he can hit, you know, like 280 over the course of the season, you'll take that for your catcher. And. The power's there, the extra base hits, the plate discipline, I think is perhaps the best thing where he's putting the ball in play, but he's drawn some walks 
and not striking out as much because that's what this offense is struggling with is drawing walks and striking out. And Diaz is trying to get it done on both sides of the ball where his catching, he's doing the best he can. I like him as a catcher. I think he does call a good game and the pitchers just aren't executing because you'll see him square up and call a pitch in a certain location and all of a sudden curveball middle of the plate outside <laughs> hit out for a home run. So Diaz, I think, is in a good spot right now on both sides of the ball, and it, it's good to see that because you need him, and it's nice to have a catcher that can that can provide some offense and isn't Tony Walters. And I love I love Tony Walters. He's one of my one of my all time favorite Rockies. Awesome guy, um, and a big thing that was important with Tony was his ability to call a game and his repertoire with the pitching his rapport with the pitching staff. And those are two things that Elias Diaz has. He, I think he does call a good game. And I agree with you because you'll see him set up and like, all right, well, what's he calling for? He's calling for a slider on the corner. Oops, left it hanging dead center and it got demolished for a home run. That That's not on Diaz. And mm-hmm. he also, you know, he works with the tools that he's, he's given. And I think defensively, he's a very good catcher. And we saw his defense suffer last year. And that's, because of what you said, he's pressing. He's pressing so hard in all aspects of the game that all aspects of the game are going to suffer instead. And when he's not pressing and he looks comfortable, his his defense is good. He hasn't really had any standout defensive issues, which a lot of other people on this team have so far. Um, he he looks comfortable at the plate. I'm I'm really happy with how he's doing. And catcher is one of those positions where. Right now, you want to have the the veteran out there. So Diaz is definitely older. He's 32 years old. But most of the Rockies' primary catching prospects are at double-A or lower. And Daniel Cope is doing really, really well in triple-A right now. But this was unexpected um, to him to really pop off. He was solid in, uh, in double-A Hartford in 2022. And this year, having him just explode out the gate I don't think anybody really expected, and it's awesome that he's doing so. But this is this is the kind of year, especially with where if we're going to get some of our younger pitchers from Albuquerque making debuts, you want this veteran backstop who can call a good game and sort of keep things calm. And we've seen him, you know, keep calm and display his leadership. We talked about it in the first half with him being the one to go out and say, "Hey, Armand, something's up. Something doesn't seem right. Let's get mm-hmm. the trainers out here." So I'm I'm really happy about that and. Elias Diaz is um, actually the third best on the team by our war right now with uh, 0.5 wins above replacement just below uh, Kyle Freeland and Herman Marquez. So he's doing well, and I really hope he can. I don't think it's it's reasonable to assume that he's going to stay as hot as he is right now, but if he can just continue to look comfortable at the plate, because that's what we saw last year and at the beginning of his first season with us where he didn't look comfortable. Mm-hmm. And right now he looks comfortable, and that's exactly what you want. Mm-hmm. And you know, play himself up if you're if he's doing really good at the trade deadline you know, and, and you get a really good offer for him, you got to jump on it, especially if we're, where we're going to be at. We expect to be at, this, at that point in the season. Send him down and then let one of these other catchers, Brian Servin can, and somebody else can hold down the fort for the end of the rest of the season. And then you can 
readjust and then just let no Drew Romo take it next year, something. But you can reevaluate with Diaz. He's a valuable piece, and you know, if somebody comes a knocking at the trade deadline, I think you open up that door and really consider it, and then bench that bench whatever prospects you get for weeks on end, and then never play them. Pretty much. <laughs> oh, we got a we got a good return for Elias Diaz at the trade deadline. I can't wait for none of these guys to ever get any playing time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know who is surprisingly getting playing time? And we do have to give the Rockies credit for this, even though they kind of had their hand forced in this, is Alaris Montero having a pretty solid start to the season mm-hmm. where really the only reason he's getting consistent playing time is because Brendan Rodgers got injured and Ryan McMahon was shifted over to second base. I think if Brendan Rodgers is healthy, we are not having the same conversation right now, which is very frustrating. But at the very least, we can say we are having this conversation right now. Alaris Montero has been the majority starter at third base, and he did miss a couple games because of that, uh, that hand injury. But he's, he's looking pretty good. Um, strikeouts are still kind of an issue for him. He has 12 on the season to just one walk. Um, we saw a particularly bad at bat from him last night, where it was like three straight sliders on the outside corner and he swung at all three of them. Mm-hmm. So, oh, I forget who said it. Somebody said Elaris Montero never met a slider. He didn't want to swing at, <laughs> but outside of that, he's currently hitting 333, 366, 487 with a home run and three doubles. That's pretty solid. And and yes, he's striking out a lot. But what I've noticed is he is making a lot of hard contact. Mm-hmm. And he's also getting the ball up the uh, up the left field line a lot, where he is making just hard contact and squeaking that along the foul line. And it's getting the job done. And, you know, you keep giving him regular at-bats and the additional power is going to come. But we've already seen him demolish a home run, and we know that he can do more. Mm-hmm. And, and he's his problem that is the same thing the rest of the lineup's dealing with is just pitch recognition, especially with breaking balls, off speed pitches, where they're just wh- whiffing through them. And no, he he's no, he's not innocent of that either. And that's something that they all have to figure out. But it, the difference between a CJ Crone having that problem and Ryan McMahon, as opposed to a Montero and Tovar is that Montero and Tovar are young, young guys in their first or second year in the big leagues. And so they're learning, they're growing at the plate and learning how to develop and, and adjust to those pitches and react to them and figure out how to hit them and everything. And so Montero, I think is doing a good job because like you said, he's hitting the ball hard. He's looking comfortable. He's got some good swings. He's hitting the ball hard and he looks good. And the defense is coming along. Now, you know, he's doing a ton of work doing that. Now, it's still not as crisp and clean as you want it to be. And we've been spoiled with third baseman over the years. So he's not up to the, the level of Ryan McMahon, but he's doing solid work over there as he's learning and, and growing as a fielder and as a hitter. And it's just good to see him growing and having some success. And hopefully, once he figures out that plate discipline, or figures out what pitches he wants to hit and waits for those, then we can see that power start to uncork. And we see him just starting to hit dingers and even more, well, not dingers, home runs, because dingers already been hit. Uh, 
let's see him hit more of those extra bases and see that power that he has because he would be a real boost if you can get him even hotter. Uh, instead of just the singles and stuff, we start getting more extra bases. That same conversation we had about Chris Bryant, where if they just start hitting some more extra base hits, I think a, a lot better things begin to happen for Montero. Definitely. And real quick, I want to touch on his defense as well. He made some some nice plays last night against the Mariners that I don't think he would have made last season when we saw him play. Uh-huh. Like he's he's very clearly like he, he's not perfect. And and like you said, we've been spoiled by third base defense here. But he's very clearly putting in the work to improve at third base. And that's that's good enough for me, especially when you know he's continuing as a rookie this year and we're just watching him him develop and get playing time. And then speaking of watching people develop is uh Ezekiel Tovar, where Ezekiel Tovar has had some really nice at-bats so far in the season, but he went a good two weeks without drawing a walk (laughs) and has struck out 14 times. But you'd watch him, and you know that these walks might be coming because he's taking long at-bats. He's working counts, but then, say, on a 3-2 count, he swings and misses. Mm -hmm. But you're watching him a 21-year-old prospect develop his plate recognition and his plate discipline in real time. Mm-hmm. And since then, he's now has has four walks. Yeah, and that, that's the fun thing to watch. You know, same with Montero is yeah, Tovar's learning himself and learning how to be a big league hitter where hey man, you can't be just swinging at everything willy-nilly like he has a tendency to do. Hence 14 strikeouts. But when you see him, oh, he can learn from at bat to at bat, where one at bat goes down, swing three pitches, no, three sweepers or or whatever goes down on those. And then the next at bat, he's seeing five pitches, six pitches, runs the count full, draws a, a full count walk. To see him developing in real time, like he said, that that's fun to watch. And you can excuse, you can accept the oh man, he's batting a buck eighty-eight. You can accept that. That's easier to swallow because you realize, oh, he's a 21-year-old rookie. He's our shortstop of the future for now. Let him do it. Let him grow. We got nothing to we have nothing to lose by him learning that and developing. And then if he never does develop, you can say, okay, well, we can move on from that then. Because yeah. we've given him this long look and that signs just aren't there yet of of the growth. But you can yeah, accept I- that. I was talking to a, I was talking to somebody and he was like, I'm just not impressed with Tovar so far. And I'm like, did you watch him all at the minors? No. Well then I'm sorry, but you, you don't really have much to go off of here. He had coming into the season, like a week total of big league playing time at the very, very end of last season. Mm-hmm. So like, I get it that when you don't watch minor league baseball regularly, it's hard to, look at a prospect and have him not immediately return results and then go, well, I don't, I don't see what all the the hype was about, but with Tovar, he really is like, you might as well just ignore that last week of the 2022 season because he, he played for a week and then had the entire off season coming to this year, basically as a brand new, fresh faced rookie 
as the everyday shortstop. And he has started almost every game at short. And that is the one thing I will praise the Rockies for is that they came into this season knowing Ezekiel Tovar is going to start as many games as humanly possible at shortstop. They didn't sign an additional shortstop like they did last year. They didn't uh, block him with a veteran. He has played. And it's exactly like you said. Yeah, he's hitting a buck 88 right now with 14 strikeouts. But that's way easier to to stomach because you really are. You're watching him develop in real time. And that's really exciting to me. Like, even if he he's had his ups and downs, like he's got four doubles, which have all been really good doubles that he's made good contact on. And you're watching him take these good professional at-bats and learn and develop in a season where there's no expectations. That's really exciting. Mm-hmm. And that's what I want to see more of. I want to see more of these rookies and young guys develop and, and we get to watch them develop in real time versus Harold Castro out in center field for who knows why. <laughs> and with Tovar, like you said, it's it's easier to stomach that versus say, you know, Ryan McMahon is only hitting 200 right now with an on-base percentage under 293. And he's got he's got the power. He already has three home runs, the second most on the team, but he struck out 19 times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and these a lot of these guys that are supposed to be our power hitters, it seems like everything they worked on in spring training just went out the window as soon as the season started, or right after those first two games against San Diego. And unfortunately, Ryan McMahon, I don't know whether it's the move back to second has thrown his offense out of funk or, or what it is. But I think he's trying too hard to be, you know, I got to be the big power bat type of guy though. The whole philosophy of the, I got to provide the 50% of power where he's forgotten the, I think those fundamentals. Yes. He's drawn some walks. He's got what? Seven walks that leads the team. Yeah. Hey, that's great. 19 strikeouts also leads the team. So (laughs) he's not even being the three true outcomes type of guy. He's two outcomes and maybe a home run will get thrown in there. And he's batting third or fourth or fifth most of the time. So we need Ryan McMahon to maybe simplify some things, get back to just making contact, put the ball in play, get your base hits. The power will come. Look at Chris Bryant, what Chris Bryant's doing. He's just, and Charlie Blackman, they're just focused on, making their getting their hits and eventually the power will come hopefully. Yeah. But it's, it's frustrating with Ryan McMahon, especially with guys in scoring position where the team's just choking every time somebody's in scoring position, they maybe try to squeak in a run, but a lot of time it's two guys on one out up. Oh, here's an inning and double play. So we're seeing that from a lot of guys, but Ryan McMahon's just, having a rough go of it. Him and CJ Crone. Now our two power bats in that lineup are just having a rough go of it. Yeah. And the Rockies already um, are, have the third most grounded to double plays of the entire league right now. Woo. And then when you combine that with Ryan McMahon's got a pretty high ground ball percentage so far this year, and he has a strikeout rate of 32.8%. Mm-hmm. That's that's not what you want, and yeah. it's it's it, the same like you said for CJ Crone. Um, mm-hmm. He had that incredible 
first weekend against the Padres and has looked pretty lost ever since. Mm-hmm. I don't know. My, I've talked to this with my brother you know, of how many times has it felt like CJ Crone's gone down in just three straight pitches. Swing, swing, called strike, or some sort of combination with that where it's tough. And again, it's those things of you're not quite sure what's up because you know, the power is there. We've seen the power, the fundamentals and everything, but they're just pitch recognition, I think, and and everything's just forced them to forcing them into this hole of not recognizing pitches and just swinging from the seat of their pants and coming up empty. Yeah. And it's, you know, that, you know, that CJ has the power. Uh, there was something that came across today where of active players, he leads the leads the league in home runs that are over 450 feet with like 16 of them. Uh, they don't count at Coors. So when he makes contact, he demolishes the baseball, but he's not making contact right now. Yeah, and teams have figured that out. And especially when he doesn't have the protection around him in the lineup, he's not going to get anything to hit. I think teams realize that, and we're seeing that with a lot of guys. There's the scouting reports, other teams. We're seeing how good scouting is by other teams because look what the Mariners did. You have a guy coming in just hucking sliders and sweepers at us. And strikeouts, ground outs, change ups. Oh, we're whiffing through them and everything. So we're, we're seeing them, but they're not getting anything good to hit and they're not forcing other teams to pitch to them. Where, like, like we said in the first half with the defense, the mental errors, we're giving things away to the other team and that's beating us. The, the Rockies are beating themselves. In all aspects of the game, offensively, defensively, pitching-wise, this team is better than the way they're performing right now. And I honestly do believe that, that the team construct of that lineup is better than what they're doing. Yeah, it's like we have, I think, uh, a team that is more well-constructed than, say, the 3-12 and Oakland Athletics. But the fact that we're only two wins better than them right now in the standings is a tough pill to swallow. Mm-hmm. Like when a we're, team that is actively and openly tanking. When we're uh, just a possum away from being <laughs> the Oakland A's, it's not a good sign, Evan. Oh, man. That is... Um, that's one of my favorite stories from the week, I think, where the visiting press box in, at uh, Oakland Alameda County Coliseum has a possum in it. And so none of the visiting teams can use that media box because there's just a giant possum in there. Staked his claim. And, and I will say one positive thing about the Rockies right now. The ground ball rate is down significantly. Right now, the Rockies are below league average in ground ball rates, 42.5. That is an improvement. That is a huge improvement, especially considering last year when they had the highest ground ball rate in team history and led the league in ground ball rate. Mm-hmm. And the fly balls are up, maybe not in the right way, maybe they're because we're seeing a lot of pop-ups, mm-hmm. too, from the Rockies. But the fly balls are going up, which is a good sign. Mm-hmm. You, They just need to maybe lower that launch angle a little bit, something to find that sweet spot to hit some home runs and some line drives. Yeah. 
the Rockies have the sixth best fly ball rate right now at 29%. But where you can really see the difference between how we should be hitting and how we are hitting is in line drive rate, which is only 21.5%. And we are dead last in hard hit percentage. We are not hitting the ball hard at just 31.3%. Mm-hmm. For comparison, the first the the Dodgers who lead the league in hard hit percentage are at forty seven point seven percent. The Rockies are also bottom of the league in exit velocity as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a lot of that comes from them being one of the worst in chase rate, whiff rate. So they're making a lot of contact, just off little cue shots, weak hit off of breaking balls and everything. It's a recipe for disaster. And what also doesn't help is that the Rockies continue to not be a threat on the base pass. We saw so many stolen base attempts in spring training and the team telling us we're going to try and steal more bases this year. And that's just not happening. In their defense, all those stolen bases were Zach Veen mostly. (laughs) Zach Veen, Brenton Doyle. um, But we have guys who who are speedy. Like Tovar can steal a base when he gets on or, or Jonathan Daza even, but they're not even really trying. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Rockies have three stolen base attempts total. And how many have they gotten? Two. Oh. So two out of three ain't bad, but the, the only two lower than us in, in successful stolen bases are the Dodgers, which is a little odd but they've at least got six total attempts. And then the Twins only have one successful steal out of three attempts. But then you look at the Cleveland Guardians, who already have 24 stolen bases, or mm-hmm. Baltimore, who already has 22. Mm-hmm. And I think that goes back to what we've talked about is just the makeup of the team, where a lot of those other teams have been playing with bigger bases. Are there the prospects in minor leagues that are used to having those big, bigger bags? And so stealing bases has been more integral to their, how they've played baseball in their professional career. Whereas you look at the Rockies, you look at the makeup of that team, these old guys that have been playing in the majors, they're not as prone to steal bases because they're just so used to that's not how that's not a viable way to play the game anymore. And most of them probably can't steal a base because they would hurt their legs or something or they get tired halfway <laughs> they'd flop into second base like Mike Moustakis. Yeah. Well, the the one thing we'll do here is we can end on a positive note, and that's uh, Charlie Blackman and Chris Bryant, where the we thought we, we mentioned this a little bit earlier. The power's not quite there yet, but what is there is that they are consistently getting on base and they are hitting well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Charlie Blackman has only six strikeouts and has walked five times. His plate discipline is there. He looks dialed in. He's hitting at a 320 clip, and what's really important for him is he's got an on-base percentage of .414, second best on the team behind Elias Diaz. So he's already hitting much better compared to last season, and I don't know how much of that is due to the, the shift being banned or anything like that, but as long as he's consistently making contact, He's gonna hit a he's gonna hit a few more home runs. Maybe not as many as we're used to him seeing because he's gonna be like 37 soon. But he's doing his job and getting on base. And the same can be said for Chris Bryant. 
where Chris Bryant finally hit his first home run of the season the other night, but he's getting on base at least. He's hitting 298, 355, 404. He's got four walks as well. Mm-hmm. So I am okay with, at least to start the season, Chris Bryant, the on-base guy, because I know that if he's consistently making contact, the power is going to come. Mm-hmm. As long, and Especially with both of them being healthy, taking making good approaches, getting on base, getting their hits. No, we yes, we'd like them to be doing more, but you can't just rely on the two guys. They're doing their part in a way. It's the rest of the lineup needs to pick it up. No, you have four guys that are hitting well right now. And those four guys are spread through the lineup where they're kind of clumped together in one little spot. So you need all of them to perform better. No, Chris Bryant, Charlie Blackman, they're doing their part. They're the veterans. They're the leaders in that lineup. They're getting on base. Home runs will come as long as they stay healthy and they continue to make those good approaches. But until everybody else in that lineup starts hitting better, better plate approaches, those two guys aren't going to be able to hit the home runs because they're not going to get anything to pitch or get anything to hit until they draw the walks. Yeah. an uh, offense for baseball isn't like you know, football or, or basketball where you can rely on one or two guys, really, to carry your offense. Baseball needs guys one through nine to contribute. Pass the baton. One guy, somebody's got to step up. You know, your lineup's only as good as your weakest link. And unfortunately, the Rockies have a lot of weak links in there. Those that are struggling... We need them to turn things around. I don't know what the team needs to do, whether they need to go, you know, like in the natural and, you know, get the hypnotism, start building their own wonder bats. I don't know, do Mark Stout's little, like, seance thing <laughs> to cleanse the team. I don't know what. Have Gerardo Parra come back and just start, like, licking or shaving bats or whatever he was doing that one time. <laughs> To do something to exercise the <laughs> demons in that offense. Because, like we said, this team has so much more potential offensively. No. The, if this team could start performing offensively, it would do so much to carry that pitching staff. Or at least to offset some of that pitching staff. Yeah. And it's it really is. You know some of these guys are better than what you're seeing from them. Like, Yonatan Daza hit over 300 last year and did not strike out very much. And he started this season just striking out a ton. And it's it started to, to get a little better. He he has 10 strikeouts, which is honestly less than most of the other guys on the team. So you can see that he's starting to sort of figure it out. But he's not making good contact yet. And he's not drawing walks. Like, he, he could draw some walks last year. He is... Uh, one of the, I think, three people on the team with regular starting time who have no walks. Yeah. He's not even regular starting time. Because the other guys with no walks are Harold Castro, Brian Servin, and Alan Trejo, none of whom are starters. Yeah, and Daza has that batting average that's higher than his on-base percentage. And no walks, no home runs. One day, I think he has, like, what, one sac- one sacrifice fly. Yeah. And you know that Daz is not a power hitter. Fine. He's got like, what, three career home runs or something like that. But we also know that he's a better hitter than what we're seeing so far this year. 
And then you have guys like the the guys on the bench, like Alan Trejo and Brian Servant in very limited playing time, which is a shame because I think they both deserve to get at least some more playing time, have hit really well. Alan Trejo especially has uh, five hits and 16 at-bats and a double and only three strikeouts. But, you know, he's not a regular contributor. He's mostly been a defensive substitution late in games, or he's been an injury fill-in. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian Servin, the same. But Elias Diaz is hitting well enough that um, they're going to want to start him. So, fine. But then you have, like, Mike Mustakis, who has 29 plate appearances, and he's really not done much with them. He has six walks, but he also has 10 strikeouts. And he only has three total hits. Uh, yeah. And, and he hasn't really figured out how to be that bench Jason Giambi type of role, which, man, Jason Giambi, good stuff. If Mike Moustakis could be Jason Giambi, that makes him being on the bench so much easier to accept because he comes in, socks a couple of dingers, and then heads back to the bench for a couple of days. You'll take that all the time. But, yeah, exactly. Like, let's remember uh, bench Jason Giambi was good for at least a couple dingers. His um, his high mark with the team was, I think, 13 in 2011 or something like that. And that's almost exclusively coming off of the bench. That's pretty yeah. much what you're looking for in a bench bat. Yeah. And Jason Giambi was the epitome of that bench bat. <laughs> yeah. It was exactly where he needed to be for that stage in his career. And I think that's also what Mike Moustakis needs to be right now. And and you're exactly right where if if Moose comes in, socks a couple dingers, draws some walks, in general just can be a good on-base and power guy off the bench, then I am more than happy with him on this team. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, he gets way more opportunities than Jason Giambi ever did and way more opportunities than Nolan Jones or other youngsters are getting. I just... it That's the depressing note we can end on. <laughs> I hope Nolan Jones um, gets back to Albuquerque and starts tearing the cover off the ball again, and I hope we see him back up here and getting actual playing time soon. That's about all I can say on that. <laughs> um, I think that's going to about do it for us here today. Skyler, where can the folks find you at? Well, you can, as you can see, you can find me at at sideline underscore crowd on the video. You can see my little thingy there. Uh, and then yeah, you can also find us over on Instagram. We're on the instant grams now with the Rocky Mountain rooftop. That's at Rocky MTN rooftop which is the same as our Twitter account. And we'll post in starting lineups, final scores, and just whatever other stuff we we can find on there. Uh, sure to like us and follow us and share it with your friends. Like and subscribe here on YouTube. And don't forget to click that bell so you get the notifications for the latest uploads. Whoa! Yeah. You can also find me Wednesday Rock Piles over on purpleroad.com. Uh, you can find me uh, I just changed it because I, I figured out how to change it. You find me at, at Evan underscore Lang 27 on Twitter. Um, I would love to hear from you. I'm trying to be a little bit more 
active on there in terms of game day coverage. Um, you can also find us, like Skyler said, our Twitter account at Rocky Mountain Rooftop. That's R O C K Y M T N Rooftop. Uh, we've been trying to do some uh, game threads and live live game day tweeting on there, which games like last night where I was doing it was, oh, that was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I was I was out of steam for live tweeting by like the fifth inning. <laughs> yep, it's rough. It's not great. Um, also, yeah, our Instagram and our YouTube channel. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at, at Altitude Effect. That's the official Twitter account for this show. Uh, you can hit me up, uh, see what I am doing on Purple Row, doing the Thursday Rock Piles and Thursday Game Threads. Uh, it's www.purplerow.com. And in general, just you know, keep an eye out for the stuff that we're doing. Skylar, you've got the... Uh, the great new every Rocky ever show that you debuted last week. Yeah. So uh, we that got some really good, uh, really good, some engagement on it. Yeah. So we we had our most recent episode, uh, dust and I, we talked about Andre Scalaraga and the big cat, which was a lot of fun. And just hearing about my brother, you know, who grew up and, and kind of one of his idols grown up as a Rockies fan. It was cool to hear him talk about that and just, you know, just, share some thoughts about the big cat as the Rockies first superstar and everything. It's a lot of fun. So you can go check that out on, on YouTube, on our YouTube channel and, and look up the the podcast and follow our Twitter account of at every Rocky ever. Absolutely. And you can find our shows not only on YouTube, but on any podcast uh, provider where you would prefer to listen to. We're on Apple podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google podcasts, Basically, wherever you're most comfortable listening to the podcast on, you'll be able to find us. And we thank you so much for listening. It's been really interesting to see how our first month and change as Rocky Mountain Rooftop is gone. Slowly but surely, we're ticking up with things like subscribers, followers, and listeners. Uh, And we are really, really happy for all of your support. So thank Mm -hmm. you so much. Danke. But that's going to do it for us today. Uh, Catch us next time. And uh, Skylar, how about you hit him with it? Farewell. Rest in peace, Nolan Jones. Oof.